Hey Siri, can someone really be freed from addiction? I'm not sure I understand. Amen. Awesome. What a great day to start uh, the day by singing about an unstoppable God and to know that we are the sons and daughters of the Most High. How awesome is that? Great way to start, isn't it? Woo! I mean, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Well, today, you know, we're in this series that we're talking about asking for a friend. We're asking questions. So today you heard the question is, can you be set free from addiction? And here's the thing. Addiction will affect most likely everybody in this room at some point. You, you might think, well, you know, I don't battle a drug addiction or I don't battle an alcohol addiction or whatever, but maybe it's an addiction to tobacco or something else, or maybe it's just to people. It can get that way. And so the thing is, is an addict, addictions affect everyone around us. And if you, they haven't affected you in some way already, maybe they've affected your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister. Or maybe it's a friend or a coworker. You know, it could be anybody. And so the thing is, is the impact of addictions affects nearly everyone that's sitting in this room. And so today there's a message that is relevant to everyone here. And uh, the question again is, can you be set free from addiction? And so I want to introduce to you John Pierce. John Pierce uh, leads our Celebrate Recovery on Monday nights. Come on out, John, if y'all would give him a warm welcome. John is one who has been set free. He is our hope dealer for the day. Love you, man. Thank you very much. Good morning, Journey Church. Uh, as Mike said, I am the Celebrate Recovery Minister. Um, in Celebrate Recovery, when we introduce ourselves, uh, it goes a little bit like this. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I celebrate recovery from addiction to alcohol and sexual activity. And my name is John. And some of the CR folks, you can hear them saying, uh, hello back. That's uh, kind of how we work. Um, as Pastor Mike and I were talking about uh, dealing with this question today on uh, can you be free of addiction, um, he's like, well, you've got this lived experience. Uh, do you mind doing the whole message? So uh, I was a little bit humbled and uh, taken aback, but I'm uh, appreciative of the opportunity to be able to come and share my story uh, for the glory of God. Um, sometimes when I, I share, sometimes people go, you're talking about some pretty embarrassing stuff up there. Um, I firmly believe Luke uh, 12, 2, when it talks about uh, whatever we try to cover and keep secret, God says he's going to uncover that someday. Uh, whatever we uncover in this, he's going to cover it by the blood of Jesus Christ. So uh, I believe God's called me to uh, kind of a role of obedient transparency is kind of what I say. Um, I am uh, willing to uncover all of uh, my sins. There's only one judge I have to stand before one day, and I care about his opinion more than I care about yours, to be quite honest. Um, so as we look at this, uh, can you be free from addiction? Um, you've probably heard the adage, once an addict, always an addict. That person's never going to change. Um, today we're going to look at some scripture. Uh, we'll see what God's word has to say about that. And then uh, I'm going to weave some of my life story um, into that as we kind of take a look at this, this question. So uh, with my story, I'll, I'll typically start off with on March 21st of 2016 at 3.54 in the afternoon. Um, I was sitting in a lounge chair in my uh, bedroom in my house here in Prattville. Uh, the door burst open. Uh, two M16 rifles came around the corner, uh, followed quickly by a bulletproof shield and uh, two members of the SWAT team from uh, Montgomery. Um, 
They'd been surrounding my house for the previous eight hours. They came in, were yelling at me to uh, put my hands in the air. They took me into custody, and I became a guest of Otago Metro Jail for the next 10 days. Um, as uh, they were going through all that, then I sat down in my cell in isolation. I got to ponder and kind of reflect on uh, how I had gotten to that point. So my life started, uh, by now you figured out I talk a little bit funny. I was a small-town Iowa kid. I grew up there. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ uh, on December 14th of 1970. I was baptized two weeks later by immersion. I knew what uh, that all entailed, and I understood what was going on, and I loved the Lord and wanted to serve Him. Um, However, in that church environment that I grew up in, um, it was very legalistic. Um, It was very performance-driven. Pastor Mike shared last week Hebrews uh, 6, 4 through 6, uh, with the verses that talk to once you've known um, the power of the Holy Spirit and then uh, basically fall away, that re- repentance is impossible. Um, and so we had discussed last week, uh, you know, some folks believe that you can lose your salvation, and that was the case um, here. Uh, I don't believe that to be the case, and as Pastor Mike explained, you know, Christ said, you know, or God says, what's in his hand, no one can snatch away from him once, once he's there. But that was uh, something that really kind of impacted me. So the culture in that uh, environment was nobody shared anything. You didn't dare admit to any struggles that you may have. Um, everybody wore a mask. Um, if you shared that you were struggling with anything, people would begin to question if you were really saved or not. And now should you be serving in the church? And it just created kind of a dysfunctional uh, dynamic. Um, that kind of thing transferred to my home as well. We didn't talk about difficult things at my house. Uh, you didn't talk about your emotions, your feelings. Uh, we learned to stuff things. Um, you know, you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and you just soldiered on. And that's kind of how you went through life. Um, not very, um, I didn't learn how to process things very well as a kid. Um, the things I share, I don't use them as excuses. I'm responsible for all my own decisions. I'm not trying to cast blame on anybody else. It's all really on me, and I, I fully admit that here. But there were some shaping things that occurred in my childhood. As a, as a young child, uh, the environment uh, involved the physical, emotional, and spiritual abuse. Um, and that really caused me to have kind of a sense of inadequacy, kind of insecurity, and like, what's wrong with me? Why is all this uh, happening to me? And another shaping thing that happened was Um, I was exposed to uh, hardcore pornography at the age of seven through a childhood friend and his father. Um, I can't explain the dynamics in that home, but it was readily available and encouraged when I went over to visit him and play with him. So as a young kid, um, you know, going through puberty and brain development, all that kind of stuff, it does kind of impact your brain and how you kind of look at life. So those were kind of a couple, a few shaping things that occurred. After, uh, in high school, um, I discovered alcohol, and that kind of became my ultimate escape mechanism, my ultimate coping mechanism, if you will, to kind of cover pain, deal with life, deal with stress. And then I joined the military right out of high school, and I spent 30 years uh, in the U.S. Air Force. Um, I had a 32-year uh, problem with alcoholism. Um, in the military, you can kind of blend in a little bit. If you don't stand out getting in a lot of trouble, I was very successful. I was a functional alcoholic. Um, I also dealt with the pornography addiction uh, kind of throughout that whole time frame as well. Uh, my home was kind of sometimes with chaos. I could, you know, uh, back off on things for a while to kind of let things settle down, but I'd always go back to those addiction. Alcohol was really kind of my primary deal uh, through most of that. Um, I could cope with life uh, pretty well up until the point when my military career was coming to an end and I was going to retire, and that's when uh, kind of meaning and purpose was kind of disappearing out of my life, and that's when the real spiral 
uh, kind of accelerated. So uh, when we retired, moved down here, um, I got into uh, some minor legal trouble, but it got, was enough to get my attention where I went to a secular rehab, and then I started attending a secular uh, recovery program. Uh, but they talked about and were pushing this God of my understanding, the God of my understanding. Well, the God of my understanding was that vengeful, wrathful guy that I had gone too far with. He was done with me, and he had put me up on a shelf, which was a term I heard a lot in church as a kid. Um, there's really no hope for me in that kind of regard. So I never really got that and understood it. But I kind of white-knuckled. I stayed sober for about three months, and then I uh, relapsed in a pretty dramatic fashion, which I kind of opened up with on how all that happened. Um, while I was in that jail, um, given time to reflect, um, I was face down on concrete um, in isolation, and I cried out to God. I am done with this. I don't want to do this anymore. I probably destroyed everything in my life. Whatever's left of it, God, you can have it. Um, just you're going to have to send me somebody because I don't know how to do this. Um, a couple days later, my prayers were answered. Um, I got summoned to go see the, the chaplain for the jail, which was weird because it's the middle of the day and they're not supposed to be in there visiting people. So this was a very unusual thing that they allowed to have happen. This particular chaplain, um, this was his first day ever being in Otaga jail. Um, he had just gotten cleared. Um, and we had about a five or ten minute conversation. It wasn't really a long talk, but I got to talk to him. Um, and he gave me... This Celebrate Recovery Bible, this was three years ago on March 31st, which is today is my three-year anniversary. Um, he gave me hope that I'd been missing. Uh, he told me God wasn't done with me. Um, God never leaves us or forsakes us. God still loves me. He can help you recover from this and uh, probably use your life to be a great example to other people. So he filled me with a lot of hope that I had not really been able to find anywhere else. Um, so from there, I got transferred to the VA, and then I went to a court-ordered rehab for three months. Uh, while I was in rehab, I discovered that my wife had filed for divorce, uh, which really is understandable considering all the sexual acting out and the addiction chaos that I had brought into our home. Uh, but when I did get out of that rehab, um, I had the opportunity to talk to her, and uh, just for a short amount of time, I said, I'm not going to keep telling you I'm different. I'm just going to show you this time. Would you please date me before you follow through with the divorce? And she agreed to do that to see if I was really different this time. So we started dating. We went to celebrate recovery as kind of our initial dates. And uh, seven months later, uh, she had figured out that this thing is for real. And we reconciled. And we've been back together for two and a half years now with a relationship that is so much better than it used to be. Um, because it's based on honesty and trust and uh, basically a biblically oriented marriage. Uh, I caused a lot of damage with my kids. I've been able to, to reconcile with them and have a good, great relationship with both of my kids, uh, much better than it ever was um, at home as we were growing up. So um, I was also very blessed that the, uh, the legal system took a little pity on me being a veteran with some PTSD issues, and uh, they ended up dropping all the charges against me. So God allowed me to be kind of a clean slate, uh, kind of stepping forward um, as I, I did that. So today, um, I'm going to kind of walk through, is once an addict, always an addict, really a, a true adage, but what does God's Word say about it? But before we get into that, uh, I just want to throw up a quick definition of addiction. I'm going to show you a couple things here. I'm not trying to turn this into uh, 
Ted and I, the science guy, or, uh, you know, a TED talk on YouTube, but there's a couple things just so we can understand each other. Addiction's a word that's thrown out there a lot, and uh, it sometimes means a lot of different things to different people, so I think it's important to have kind of a common understanding of what we're talking about. It's a compulsion, desire, or need to do something or use something, so it's behavioral or a chemical. Uh, despite the loss of control and the negative consequences, and you have tolerance that's going to require an increased usage to try to get to that same effect, and you're going to have withdrawal that's in, uh, involved in that in the absence of any of that usage. So some of the addictions that people battle, this is not an all-inclusive list. It's kind of the ones you commonly think of. So drugs and alcohol, uh, for every person that's struggling with addiction, five or six people are impacted. So I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, but if I did, I would expect almost all the hands in the audience to come up. Um, drug addiction and alcohol abuse are so rampant, uh, nearly 450 people die every day in the United States from a drug overdose or from the effects of alcoholism. Um, and that number is uh, slowly increasing. It's not decreasing. Uh, pornography is another thing that's very pervasive in our society. Forty-seven percent of all the households in the United States um, say that pornography is a problem in their home. That's 47 percent of all the households in the United States say that pornography is a problem in their home. Uh, that's something we used to think was just kind of a guy thing. But with uh, the anonymity of the Internet... That's actually becoming a problem that females deal with, too. 33% of those are because of uh, female, and that's actually a number that's increasing. So this isn't just a guy problem anymore. Um, gambling is something that you would think of. And then codependency, which is a word you kind of hear thrown around. What does that word mean? Um, basically, you get a fix from fixing people, rescuing people. Uh, you can't get a dopamine rush. Um, you like to try to bail other people out of their problems, and that's how you kind of get high in life. And that can be an addiction as well. So there's a lot of uh, talk about what, what's the cause of this. I'm not going to, I'm sorry, we'll go to uh, the addiction slide. Is it a spiritual problem? Is it a biological problem? Is it psychological? Um, the answer is really yes. Um, all these things have an influence and a factor in that. Uh, you put 10 experts in a room, you're going to get 10 different opinions on which one is the most important, but all of them are going to play a role. But biologically, we know that genetics plays a role, and some people are kind of predisposed to have addiction problems um, as they kind of go through life. But it does involve an element of choice. Although it's classified as a disease by the medical and the mental health community, um, it still requires a choice. Much like uh, type 2 diabetes is a disease, it's usually caused by lifestyle things of body mass, you know, diet, lack of exercise. Those kind of things contribute to it, um, but it does involve uh, some choice. When we start talking about addiction, however, your ability to choose really diminishes over time as this addictive thing becomes really entrenched um, in a person's life. Um, Romans 7.15 talks, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Uh, earlier in this passage, the Apostle Paul is talking about uh, being a prisoner to the law of sin that's at work in him. Um, it's a choice that's going to lead to a snare that is going to get you in, in, trapped into a cycle that you can't uh, break out of on your own. It's going to entail a lot more than you expect. I threw up this slide here just to kind of have a common reference to talk on what the addictive cycle kind of looks like. It starts with some kind of pain or unmet need that a person has. 
Um, that starts to make them feel uncomfortable. They're going to hit a bottom, and then they're going to want some relief from that. They want some comfort. They want a coping mechanism. Um, that's what's going to cause them to want to use or do something to, to comfort themselves to make them feel better. That's their, their coping mechanism. Uh, they're going to feel good for a little bit. You're going to get a little bit of a euphoria. You're going to get hit. You're going to have a little bit of a high, no matter what you're doing or the thing that you're using. Uh, but it isn't going to last. It's a false kind of high that you're going to get out of it. And it's going to cause you to come back around through a crash to have some more pain and need at the very top. The problem is it's not going to start where it, or pick up where it left off. That pain and that need is actually going to be greater than it was the previous time because um, you're going to have some guilt and shame in there from probably doing something that your conscience tells you you shouldn't be doing. That's adding some more of that pain on there. It could be some legal consequences. Uh, for something that you were doing that's going to add some more pain and need and stress into your life. And as you continue around the circle, um, the tolerance is going to build up. It's going to take more and more to try to get to that same level that you're never, ever, ever going to get to. You're going to try. Your body's going to want you to. It remembers how good that felt. But tolerance is never going to let you do it. And you're going to keep using more and more and more and never get into the place that your brain wants it to. Withdrawal is another way that entails stress. Um, by the time people have done this cycle for uh, many years, um, they begin to use just to avoid the withdrawal symptoms. Euphoria is no longer even part of that picture. They're merely doing it to keep from feeling bad physically from the withdrawal symptoms that they're, they're experiencing. So ultimately, you're looking at you got a solution problem, not an addiction problem. I didn't have a drinking problem per se, I had a solution problem. I was looking to alcohol for my solution, and there was really a better solution out there. Alcohol was not going to be a, a lasting solution to it, and there's a lot of fear involved with that. So you can intervene either at the top, trying to help people with their pain and their need. Um, that's going to be kind of a long process. It isn't something that happens overnight. And you can also intervene at the bottom of that on the use-do part of trying to help them find a different way of uh, coping, of dealing with the, uh, the uncomfortable feelings that they're going through. That leads us, though, to this is really a spiritual battle um, against a spiritual stronghold, and that's a lot of what uh, addiction entails. There's a spiritual stronghold that's going to develop. Um, we look at Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. Don't gaze at wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations. You will say crazy things. You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mask. And you will say, they hit me, but I didn't feel it. I don't know even when they beat me up. When will I wake up so that I can look for another drink? That kind of summarizes that cycle I just went through. There's anguish, there's sorrow. Uh, they're looking for something that looks appealing. Um, it's going to bite, and you recognize the fact that it's going to hurt a little bit, but you do it anyway. Because um, you get to the very end there and you go, I need another one. I want to start this cycle all over again. And this was identified you know, all the way back into Proverbs. The good news is, there is hope for recovery in Christ. Matthew 11:28 says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. 
Someone trapped in addiction is very weary, and they are carrying a lot of burdens with them. Um, Christ promises here that he will give you rest from that if you'll give it to him. Mark 5.34 talks, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Um, Back in verse 26, it gives us a little more background on this woman that he is talking to. Um, She'd suffered 12 years with a bleeding condition. Um, She had been to multiple doctors. She'd spent everything that she had, and it said she still suffered much. They couldn't do anything for her. Um, I encounter parents all the time who've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, mortgaged their homes to send their kids to rehab for the second, third, fourth, fifth time, trying to get them uh, fixed, and still they suffer with this. Um, She had enough hope to still wade through the crowd, grab Jesus' garment with the hope and the faith that he would heal her, and he told her, your faith is what has, has healed you, and she was healed at that point. So there is hope. Um, we are in a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual stronghold. Uh, you know, multiple references in the Bible tell us about that spiritual battle. You're a warrior in Christ's army, whether you realize it or not. You are being fought against whether you're fighting back or not. Um, when you get snared by Satan into something like this, you become a defeated Christian. In this war, you've become a prisoner of war. I was a prisoner of war for a very long time, living the defeated Christian life. Um, I would sit in church... Uh, struggling, wondering why God won't remove this from me because I wanted him to fix it for me. He, I wasn't willing to do it on his terms. But I sat in church many a time as a, as a POW. Usually it was about five rows up on this side over here. Um, but when I encountered uh, the chaplain, he gave me the hope that I had been missing for so very long. Um, ultimately, the hope is in Christ And you learn about that through his word. But there is hope that you can find something different. Freedom, not just coping from addiction, is possible. God tells us in his word, John 8, 31 through 32, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you in a coping life. No, it says you will be set free. Um, If you remain faithful to my teachings, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You can be free. You can have an abundant life that isn't just a coping. The next one there, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. 2 Corinthians 5, 15 through 18. So we often view situations, we put, try to put God in a box. God can do this, but this one's really maybe too hard for him to do. This says, we view Christ merely from a human point of view. He promises that you can become a new person, a new creation. He can take that old person um, and change that into a brand new life. Uh, when I truly surrendered everything, when I told God, I will do whatever, I will do whatever you want, for the rest of my life. Um, 
Those cravings were lifted from me. I had found my new coping mechanism. It was Jesus Christ. Um, you look at that used wheel that I was, the used part in that uh, addiction wheel I was kind of showing you. That new coping mechanism really broke that chain. And uh, again, I have not struggled with cravings for either any of my addictions since that time. And I consider myself extremely blessed through that. Um, but don't just take my word for it. Here's a, my story from uh, Daniel, and we'll uh, hear a little bit about what his experience was. My mentality was that I've tried everything to get sober. It's not going to happen. I'm, I'm going to be one of those people that, that um, just doesn't get sober. And um, I just expected that one day I would overdose um, or I would die you know, in a drug deal um, or something along those lines. And so I just kind of reserved myself to that. So my name is Daniel Holder, and since June 1st, 2011, I've been clean and sober. I was raised in a church. Um, I was at church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, um, and a couple of nights a week usually. You know, um, so I was very, very heavily involved. Uh, you know, children's ministry growing up, going to children's camp, uh, youth camp, growing up for the youth, and um, you know, I, I was I had as good upbringing as you could think of. And then I got to high school, and a little bit of high school, um, I started drinking. I kind of fell in with some guys that I drank for, and. Um, I didn't know much about drinking. My parents kind of told me, hey, you know, we have some extended family members that are alcoholics or have issues with alcoholism. And so uh, we don't drink. And that's part of the reason why it's not a good thing for our family to do. And um, I was kind of curious. I wanted to try it. And I tried it, and I really liked it. Um, started drinking, smoking weed, and um, it just kind of clicked with me. You know, um, it, it, it made me feel good. I liked it. It made me feel like I fit in. Um, like I was cool. Um, I got into cocaine, and that, that's when really things really spiraled out of control in high school. Um, I, I started uh, you know, stealing to get cocaine. I, I started um, doing a lot of bad things to, to, to feed that habit. Um, I almost failed out my junior year in high school. and So in January 2007, I ended up going to rehab. I went to rehab for two weeks, and um, I came back, got really involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I started getting back involved in my youth, uh, my youth group at church. Um, I, I was able to graduate. I was able to finish my junior year in high school and go into my senior year. Um, my senior year, I became a captain of the wrestling team. Uh, by the end of my senior year, I was voted um, runner up to prom king. I played guitar in my youth band. Uh, you know, everything was going really good. Spring or fall of 2008, I decided to go to college, Southwest Baptist University in rural Missouri, and. Um, Things kind of stopped going well at, at SBU. I, um, I stopped doing my daily devotion. Um, some of the things that I had, uh, the classes I had chosen, I didn't really know if I wanted to do, and I kind of felt trapped. Um, I didn't feel like I could leave college, but I didn't know what else I wanted to do with my life. Um, and so, uh, you know, and a lot of it was I, I, I stopped seeking God. I, I stopped going to church regularly. I, I stopped reading my Bible. I stopped praying. And um, once, once I kind of cut that connection off, um, I didn't realize at the time, but I really kind of started to step down down a bad staircase. And um, after my freshman year there, I went back my sophomore year. And um, I, you know, Southwest Baptist University was not a big party school, but um, I did find a couple people that drank, and I started hanging out with them. And before you knew it, I was drinking again. And um, so I dropped out of college, uh, moved back in with my parents in Kansas City, and for the next two or three years. Um, I was coming through a revolving door, being sober for a couple months, and then relapsing. Sober for a couple months and relapsing. And again, I got back heavily involved with Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I, I thought before that uh, the reason I relapsed was because I stopped going to meetings when I went to college. And uh, you know, if I just try hard enough and work harder, you know, I can get back to being sober. Um, 
I did go to church, but it wasn't a top priority for me. I didn't, I didn't start reading the Bible again. I didn't really establish that connection back with God. Um, and so, for the next two or three years, I, I, nothing got better. It just slowly got worse and worse and worse. And finally, um, I, my aunt, who lives in Foley, Alabama, offered for me to come down there and live with her. Um, just kind of for a change of pace. I mean, nothing good was happening for me in Kansas City. And I thought, hey, you know, I've tried everything else, and um, let's try this. So I moved down there, and, um, you know, I was good for a couple months. And then again, same cycle, I relapsed again. And um, this time was a little worse. I went on a bender for about four or five days and um, didn't talk to my family during that time. And uh, my parents lived in Kansas City, got really concerned, came down, and um, they, they were able to find me. And my uncle found me, and my family set me down. and. Uh, kind of laid the options out and said, hey, everything we've tried has not helped you. Every way we've supported you hasn't helped you. Uh, you've just gotten worse. And so um, right before they came down for one of my bender, I'd written a couple of bad checks to my boss at the gas station. And um, so I had a couple of bad checks floating out there. And my uncle said, hey, you can um, go to prison for those bad checks you wrote. Or we can uh, I can cover those and you can go to Waterfront Rescue Mission down in Pensacola, Florida and get sober. And um, I thought about my uh, those two great options, and I decided to go to Waterfront Rescue Mission down in Pensacola. And um, the the difference between that place and other rehabs I'd gone to was it was 100% Christ-centered. Christ was the solution. Uh, you weren't going to work your way out of it. You weren't going to um, go to enough group meetings to get sober, but you know Christ is what was going to fix you. And um, it's because of God's grace. Um, you know, he, he gave me the opportunity. He, he got me sober. I truly believe he pulled me out of that. And once I went to our front rescue mission, I was Christ-focused. And as opposed to um, trying to work a set of steps and, and not drink or not do drugs, my focus was on worshiping Christ and, and living for God and seeing what he wanted me to do. That was my new focus. And so I was working towards that goal. I wasn't working towards not doing something. And I truly believe that God freed me from addiction at that point. Um, I was no longer just, just waiting to not drink or waiting to not do drugs. I, I was living life and living for Christ and doing the things He wanted me to do. Um, one of the coolest things I get to do is I, I work in an industry I love. And I get exposure to people that would not walk in the doors of a church. Um, I get the opportunity to share the gospel with them through, through my actions and my words and my story. Um, I believe God freed me from addiction to tell my testimony you know, and, and to show that he saved me. This was not of my own effort. This was not of my own work. And um, I'm very blessed today, very blessed today to, to have that opportunity and for him to do that for me. Amen. You can be free from your addictions. But you can also heal from your hurts, hang-ups, and your habits. Um, Celebrate Recovery, we refer to hurts, hang-ups, habits. Um, uh, it's a program that is not just about addiction. It helps the families who are dealing with those who have addictions. Um, it helps you work through any kind of struggle. Um, but we'll help kind of peel back the onion on your life and help you kind of identify those things. My hurt was as a kid growing up in that abusive, kind of uh, suppressive kind of environment. Um, that caused a hang-up of insecurity, of uh, not feeling good enough. Um, and that led to a habit of trying to escape from things, avoiding reality. Um, drinking kind of became that ultimate escape, although the pornography was involved in that as well. Um, and that habit can become an addiction if you're one of those that's predisposed like I was to get kind of ensnared in that uh, kind of environment. But you can break out of that uh, that cycle with God, what God's Word tells us here in Proverbs 3, 5-8. through 8, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, 
and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord, turn away from evil, and then you will have healing in your body and strength in your bones. Um, seek his will in all you do. And that's part of what the Celebrate Recovery is to designed to kind of help you find. It says you'll have healing in your body, that physical disease kind of thing that we were talking. Um, in your bones, your inner soul, you're going to find some healing um, if you are able to do this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results, James 5.16. That's kind of one of the anthem verses from Celebrate Recovery. We refer to that all the time, and we are very uh, much involved in confession uh, amongst ourselves with confidentiality, but prayer is also a big part of what we do, and we believe that does bring healing, and we've witnessed that in a lot of people's lives. Um, from my own um, story, um, I was able, shortly after I got out of rehab, my mother got put into a nursing home. She'd uh, been struggling with dementia, Alzheimer's for 10 years. Um, my dad told me he had to put her in the home. He kept her at home and did 24-7 by himself um, with someone that really didn't know who he was. Chased him around the house with a knife sometimes. But um, he, I knew it was getting towards the end when he told me he had to put her in the home. Um, so I... Uh, travel back home to make amends with my mom before she was going to pass on. Um, this was a very difficult, I had a lot of resentment uh, built up from stuff that had happened, but um, I am so grateful uh, God prompted me to go do that. Um, I was able to do that. She had moments of clarity where I knew she kind of knew what was going on, even though we didn't have full-blown conversations. But um, I was able to offer forgiveness and ask for forgiveness for my resentment that I'd held for all those years. But I don't uh, look to dishonor my mom in any way. Um, I, I love her. I honor her. I look forward to, to meeting her in heaven. She passed away um, two and a half years ago. Um, but I was able to do that before she did pass. And that brought a lot of healing to me um, through that process. And that's one of the things that this program had helped me kind of work through. So what does recovery look like? Uh, the next slide up there, it's the Celebrate Recovery uh, Principles. Um, sometimes people have issues with 12 steps and principle programs. They think, well, you're trying to add to what Christ said. We're not saying Jesus plus anything. This is all the Word of God. That we're, uh, all it's doing is packaging it, for lack of a better term, in a nice, easy way to look at and understand. Uh, but nothing we do is outside of what the Scripture says. The Beatitudes, uh, based on the Sermon on the Mount, um, there were seven characteristics there. Seven was kind of the perfect number out of Scripture. So this is basically Christ is telling you what a complete character would look like. And that's what those principles basically are talking you to. Um, you can kind of group them into uh, four different areas. The first part, the first three, really deal with reconciliation with God. And that's the most important part. And until you kind of square that away, the rest of it's not going to make a lot of sense to you. The second one is reconciliation with yourself, putting uh, making peace with your past, um, processing all those things that happened to you or that you did to other people. The next part is the reconciliation with others. That's kind of that amends process that's involved in that. And then the final part uh, is to continue to grow closer, into more intimate with God through uh, his word, prayer, meditation. And then it's also serving God, living out your faith in service to God and to other people. And that's really what the, the Celebrate Recovery Program is broken down into with the eight principles there. Look at Romans 12.2. tells us, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, 
what is good and perf- pleasing and perfect. John 10, 10, as we go to the next part there, do you really trust what God says in his word that he will do? That's really what it comes down to. I am come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. God says we're going to have an abundant life if you trust your life to him. When I look at this verse and I look at all those other verses that we looked at today that dealt with hope, freedom, and healing, I didn't see any one of them that had an asterisk next to it with the fine print at the bottom that said, except for people with addiction, because that's just too hard. Um, That is not the case. My God cannot be put into a box. God can do anything. He specializes in making the impossible possible. He can change lives, and I've witnessed it happen so many times. So we uh, started today looking at uh, can you really be free from addiction once an addict always an addict is that the way this really works I don't believe that at all Um, sometimes people talk to me afterwards and they go I'm so sorry that you had to go through all that and I kind of look at them and I go Well, I look at it a little bit different. Look what God brought me out of. Um, I am extremely grateful for everything that I went through. I was very close to death. God knew exactly what it took to break this very, very proud man. Um, And he brought me right up to the point of death because I was very close to um, allowing the police to to kill me because I was done. I didn't want to live that way anymore. I was hopeless and in a very deep, dark place. And he brought me out of that. Um, It wasn't very fun at the time, but I am so grateful for where I am now. I am so grateful that my God loved me enough to discipline me, to break me to that point, but not too far, um, and then restore me to where I am today. Um, So now I am able to... um, I believe God called me to be a full-time uh, minister to the jails and prison here in the local area, and that's what I do now, um, in addition to the Celebrate Recovery Ministry. Um, I can walk in, um, I can meet a veteran, and in about five minutes, um, I can describe my nightmares, I can bond with that guy in about five minutes, and he's telling me his life story. Um, and I can share the love of Christ and what can be possible through him. Um, I can encounter individuals who struggled with some abusive things as a kid, and it's the same thing. In about five minutes, I can form a bond with them, and we trust each other, and I can start to share Christ. I can talk to other Christians who have been POWs, who have been snared in that addiction cycle and never really could find a way out of it, Um, whether that's uh, alcoholism or pornography. And again, I get to witness to them and show them how Christ has changed my life. I go into these jails and the prisons, and I can bring some hope. There ain't a whole lot of hope in there. It's a very dark, evil place. Um, But again, um, I've been where they've been, and I can relate to people that I never would have been able to before. God dropped the scales from my eyes. I saw a whole uh, part of humanity that I never really knew existed, but he gave me a passion and compassion to go in there and and work with those folks. Um, I work with that same chaplain who... Um, made a difference in my life and literally saved my life physically as well as spiritually. And uh, we were able to reach out to about 400 uh, individuals here in the local area um, that thought that the church was done with them, that God was done with them, that nobody loved them. But um, it's amazing 
opportunity that I'm, I'm a walking, talking miracle. Um, and that's only through the glory of, to Jesus Christ. And that's really what uh, I try to do from this point on. Um, my wife and I also feel called to start a family uh, recovery home here in the kind of the local area. So it's not just getting through the trials of addiction, but it's also um, how to live as a family. You have generational dysfunction of single family homes, or if there are families, there's addiction involved and the parents really aren't there. Um, so uh, hopefully as we'll follow in the, the Lord's footsteps on where he would have us go with that. So I was once an addict. Now I'm a redeemed new creation in Christ that's become a hope dealer. Some next steps for you. Um, I would encourage you to maybe check out Sober Recovery. Whether you have an addiction problem or somebody you know does, it can help. Uh, we meet at 6.15 on Monday night. Uh, we do dinner at that time, and then the group starts at 6.45. Everything is free. We never ask you for money. Um, there's anonymity and confidentiality, so the fact you're there, we're not going to acknowledge that. Uh, whatever you say there is going to stay there. Um, we have an information table set up in the back corner today. Uh, there'll be some people back there manning that. If you want to go back and check out some of the handouts that are there that explain uh, some of the different hurts, habits, and hang-ups that people struggle with, um, addictions and whatnot, uh, there'll be some very compassionate people back there um, that understand anonymity and confidentiality. They also understand 2 Corinthians 1.4 that talks about God comforts us in all our troubles so we can comfort others with the same comfort we receive from God. Um, they've been there. They've done that. Um, they don't claim to uh, you know, have arrived, but they're willing to come alongside you and kind of help you um, in your walk. Um, we firmly believe, you know, the... Walking together, accountability and support is really an important aspect as you're trying to work through a lot of this stuff. And that's really what Celebrate Recovery is all about. But that's available to you. If you don't want to stop at the table, there's also some information at the counter, or uh, sorry, near the uh, the front door as you kind of walk out. Some other resources there. There's some books. Uh, we're not selling anything. I do have copies of them back there on that table so you can kind of see what they look like. But uh, you'll have to kind of procure those on your own. Life Healing Choices is uh, kind of a good overview of how to deal with any hurt, habit, or hang-up. The specific ones when it comes to uh, sexual addiction, every man's battle is a great one. Uh, healing from the wounds of sexual addiction is for guys or for girls, but that's probably one of the better ones on the subject. And then boundaries is a really great resource when it comes to uh, codependency. So we talked today, addiction is a spiritual battle against a stronghold. Satan's going to fight as hard as he can to keep that snare in you, to keep you a POW as a defeated Christian. Um, I just want you to remember you're not defined by what you've done. Um, that's not who you are. God loves you no matter what. You've never gone too far with God, which is what I thought for a long time in my life. It's not the case. That's not what God's word tells us. Um, nothing can separate you from the love of God. There is hope. You can find freedom and you can find healing. Um, let's, uh, if you would bow your heads and uh, we'll kind of close out here and for a moment. I will just first, uh, um, I'm going to pray here in just a minute, uh, but if some of you may be thinking, I don't know how this is, can work. I, 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 don't, uh, I don't really have a relationship with Christ. I've come to church some. Um, I've struggled with various things. Maybe it's addiction, maybe not. But uh, I think I really need to have a relationship with Christ. 
So in a minute, I'm going to, uh, to say a, when I say the prayer, I'm going to say something to kind of lead you through one. Um, and I would ask you just to maybe be attentive to that uh, small voice that's maybe talking to you right now that's saying, you know, today's the day. Let's, let's surrender and do this. Let's make a change and do something different in our life. For others of you, maybe you are that one that's been struggling with addiction. You know you're saved, but you've been a POW all this time. Um, or maybe you have a family member or a friend or you have a friend's friend. If you know somebody that's struggling with uh, addiction, I would just like you to, uh, with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would, just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. See your hands. Lots of hands up all around this auditorium. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, for those who don't know you and are seeking you, Lord, uh, we cry out with just a, a simple prayer that, Lord, we can't do this on our own. We know uh, we've been sinful. We know we haven't been doing things your way, Lord. We just... Uh, want to surrender our life to you. We want to invite you into our life to be our Lord and Savior. We believe that you were died and was buried and rose again and that uh, inviting you, you'll come live in us as your word promises and that we can be born again and we can start a new life with you. Lord, uh, this addiction is uh, prevalent in our culture, Lord. And uh, we know it's a tool of Satan that he can keep people defeated Lord, uh, I just lift up uh, everyone here that raised their hand that's dealing with uh, different issues, Lord, that uh, your Holy Spirit would pour out on them and the individuals that are involved. Lord, it really comes down to surrender to you. It is a very strong stronghold, but we know your word promises we can be free and that we can be healed. Lord God, we just thank you for uh, all that you do in our lives and the blessings. And It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you uh, said a prayer like that and you want to talk to somebody, the VIP room is there in the back. I'd highly encourage you to go there. There's uh, compassionate people that uh, would love to just sit down and chat, um, find out where you're at. We're not going to embarrass you, call you out in public or anything like that, but we do want to encourage you, um, and I would encourage you to do that. So uh, thank you again for letting me share, and you all have a blessed day.